Welcome to Enjoy the Book of Life. Today on our People, Places, Things, we're going to be looking in the book of Genesis at some altars, some wells, and some pillars. So, a lot with this one, so let's jump right in. If you want to give us a little overview. Well, the patriarchs, very often we follow simply the storyline, and we can miss sometimes a lot of the uh, uh, themes or the motifs that God provides us in the book. The mountains, for example, of Genesis are mm. quite instructive, and uh, the journeys that they make. Uh, when you go to the land of Israel today, there are certain things that you immediately look for. Uh, it's not too long in the land when you come to a town, you say, where's the water? Because that's going right. to be the key to this town. And uh, it was very often the, the battle point, the whole issue was who controlled the water. Um, we read, for example, Dan, uh, David, uh, when he longed for a drink from the well at Bethlehem. The Philistines were controlling that well at mm. the time because that was very often the secret of victory. We have the story of, of um, Joab breaking in through the water gate, uh, going up the water trough in order to take the city of Jerusalem. And this was a big issue because in those days they didn't have pumps, and so the, the water sources were low down in the valley. The people could build a fortress up on the hill. That was fine, but then how did you get the water? And right. so they had ingenious right. means of bringing the water underground downhill and then having stairways underground and and shafts and so on uh, in order to get the water in time of siege. So very often we think about uh, in our society we think about the kinds of places that we regularly visit. Well every morning the women met at the well mm. and many of the romances that we read about in the Bible occurred at wells mm -hmm. and and so and the same is true when we uh, think about uh, pillars, um, the m memorial markers, cairns, uh, driving down the road. Sometimes you might see a marker to some battle scene and so on. Uh, and, and we have the same sort of thing in the Bible. And then, of course, uh, altars. Now, that's not something we see very often in this country, yeah. but certainly in the land that was an important thing. Um, not only uh, altars to the true God, but, but high places and places of worship to the false gods. When mm. the children of Israel came into the land, it wasn't enough for them to build an altar, an altar to the true God. They had to destroy the other altars. We have the story of Gideon. Before he built an altar to the Lord, he had to destroy his father's altar because there's only room for one God. And, yeah. and we find this over and over again in Scripture. So um, if we look carefully, we start to connect the dots and we see... Uh, these sort of patterns or these recurring themes that help us understand uh, some of the more significant ideas in the Bible. So I would suggest, um, to help us memorize, to, to remember this, that when we're dealing with the altars, we're dealing with the issue of relationship, relationship with God. Uh, when we're looking at wells, we're thinking about resources. Mm. And when we're looking at pillars, we're thinking about remembering. And God wants his people in each of these three areas to understand today um, the relationship that we have with him, the resources we have in him, and then, of course, 
to remember his, his goodness and so on. God was constantly calling Israel to remember. And this is also something that all the way through the book of Revelation, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Lord says to the church, remember, remember f from which you've fallen and, uh, and return and do the first works and so on. And so in our own lives, in a spiritual sense, we need altars. We need the family altar. We need personal altars with God. Uh, we need to uh, draw from the wells of salvation. And we also need um, these, these markers, these, these remembrancers uh, to, to recall the high watermarks, the, the spiritual experiences that we've had with God. Mm. So I think there, it's a great theme to follow through in the lives of the patriarchs. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially there, uh, I think with historical narratives, a lot of times people will, you know, I read, a, I might, you know, that's good for Sunday school Bible story time, you know, but where's the application, right? How right. does, how does what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, how, what are the, what they're doing 4,000 years ago, how does that apply to me? And I think seeing though that, the motif, the, the that pattern, mm -hmm. and we see Abraham with his altars, allows us a pattern to then look through the scriptures at all of these altars, and and the same with the wells, like you you were saying with all these stories, right? And then boom, we're at the you know with the woman at the well, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 we can see um, that, that pattern all the way through the scriptures. Uh, really helps us to apply it and like what you were saying with uh, our relationship and with the resources and with the remembering those are key aspects I think with um, you know here in the United States we celebrate 4th of July right it, mm -hmm. it's it's a time of remembering yeah. right and uh, but then there are other holidays where you know you've got it and people are like well what is this for? Like, I know I, I don't have to go to school or go to work, you know, but what's the point of this, right? And, and they, 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 they have the day, but there's no remembering. Yeah. And I was um, reading in one of the prophets not too long ago, and the Lord, uh, or God is um, uh, chastising them for not remembering the Exodus, mm. Well, that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But it was the birth of their nation. It was, you know, this this evident time of God working for yeah. them, right? And so as a result, they, here they are, they're not remembering it. And, and what riches we receive when re we remember what God's done for us. Right, right. And the old line about if we don't remember, yeah, you know, then we are plagued by, by repeating the same stupid mistakes yeah. over and over again. So it's not simply a matter of remembering historical events, but remembering the lessons we should have learned through those events that that can be applied over and over again in our daily experience. We expect our kids when they've learned how to tie their shoelaces that that's going to stand them in good stead for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And a lot of other little lessons we teach our kids, like you know, how to behave at the table, um, we're constantly doing this, and we hope it becomes a way of life with them. And I think that's the idea. 
it's not simply a matter of looking back and remembering but then taking the good out of that lesson and living in in the reality the present reality of those lessons and we you've got the pillar right so the pillar is outstanding right it, it, mm -hmm. it, and so as you're journeying right you're going to this town or that town you would be confronted with it right yeah. something external to yourself mm -hmm. um kind of like the the fireworks on fourth of july right it, you can't help but remember it right because you yeah. can't sleep all night uh and so it it would be the same thing with the pillar there'd be something external of yourself where that you you couldn't help but remember right, it right yeah i mean that was the first act of the children of israel going into the promised land god said i want you to take 12 stones out of the bottom of the river and pile up this marker and when your kids ask you what's that doing there yeah. you tell them this is your opportunity to apply a lesson from the past not just simply tell them a history story but but apply the lesson there was a time when god stopped the river supernaturally brought us into the land we're not here by natural means god is our god and he opened up the way for us and if he didn't we wouldn't be here mm. and so parents need to do this the scripture says tell it to the generations following there are lots of christian young people don't know how their parents got saved mm. or their grandparents well like what what's going on there right yeah. these are high water marks and uh, you know how god brought a husband and wife together and how he provided for them in the early days of their marriage supernatural acts miracles people forget these stories their kids should be hearing that. We should be telling around the dining room table. I, I've never told you this story before. i got to tell you how God provided a job for me during the Depression or how God did this for us, how he, how he did these things. Um, we, we need to do this, right? Let the mm -hmm. redeemed of the Lord say so. We should be telling these stories. Yeah. And, and I go into a lot of local churches and say, you know, how did the gospel come to your family? Not always... the the present generation but sometimes surprisingly grandparents or whatever uh, amazing stories and get up and tell the story and nobody in the local church has ever heard that story before well, well. so we we're we have lots of um, reasons to praise God but we forget those stories with time mm. uh, we don't remember and and it's it's crucial that we keep underlining them in our children's hearts God supernaturally worked in our family. Yeah. When he saved grandpa out of some dead religious system or or out of prison or who knows what, right? Um we need to hear these stories. Yeah. And I think it shows us in Genesis where you've got Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and you have that continuation from one generation to the next. So we see this where you know it, it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God mm -hmm. of Jacob. But it wasn't always mm -hmm. that way, right? He became the next generation's God, right? right. He was God, Abraham's God. But then he established a relationship with Isaac. Right. And then he was right. the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then finally of Jacob. Yeah. 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 We see the same thing with the wells. Right. Where one generation would dig a well, but then... The next generation had to redig the well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any comments on that? Right. Well, uh, maybe just go back a little bit on the on the altars. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's start with that. 
you have uh, Abraham um, comes into the land at Shechem. And it says the Canaanite was in the land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. As far as Abraham knew, he hadn't bumped into Melchizedek yet. As far as he knew, he was the only one worshiping the true God in the land. Mm. And so it's like him nailing his colors to the mast and saying, I'm with God. Um, and he and consistently he pitches a tent, he builds an altar. Pitch a tent, build an altar. And mm. this speaks to us because we also are pilgrims and priests. The, the tent right. said, I don't belong here. I'm just traveling through. And the altar said, I do belong there. I, I have access into the presence of God. Mm. And so as pilgrims, we're saying, this world is not my home. But as priests, we're saying, I, I have access into the presence of God. So everywhere we went. So, so Shechem is the place of decision. And all through history, all these key decisions in the history of the nation of Israel, all the way through until the woman at the well, where she has a decision to make, um, they're, they're all stories about decisions. And Abraham makes the decision as soon as he lands in, in the promised land at Shechem. He, the first thing he does, pitches a tent, builds an altar, and lets the neighbors know, so to speak, yeah. that he worships the true God. Then he moves on to Bethel, and he pitches between Bethel and Ai, or I. Bethel, as you know, means the house of God. I means a pile of rubble. And we mm. all pitch our tent between Bethel and I. Mm. Everything that comes through our hands, every moment, every penny, every talent, we either invest it in the house of God or we throw it on, on the rubbish heap. Mm. Uh, everything in this world is pre-dust. And so I have the choice to make everything that I have to do, I do it one or the other place. So he pitches uh, a tent, builds an altar there, so to speak, to remind himself that it's this world is not worth investing in. Mm. And Abraham was one of the richest guys in the land. He could have built a big house. Hebrews 11 says he purposefully lived in a tent. So people would ask, what do you, what's with you, man? Obviously, you're not home yet, right? Yeah. No. He looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And he wasn't saddled, settled here. And so we need to learn that pilgrim spirit and just not drive our tent pegs in too deep down yeah, here. Yeah. Then he moves on from there, sadly goes down to Egypt. There are no altars in Egypt mentioned, mm. right? And that's a sad thing. There are many of God's people, they get away into the world and they forget the altar. They, they, their Bible gathers dust. They, they may come out Sunday and put on a show, but there's no relationship um, mm. being pursued with God. But then he comes back to Bethel, to the place where he had first built the altar, we read. And then we read that he went to uh, Beersheba and um, um, Hebron. At Hebron, he built his third altar. And this means fellowship, of course. Hebron means fellowship. And uh, this is where Abraham um, is um, host to the Lord visiting from heaven and uh, these conversations, this revelation of God's plan is given there uh, a marvelous place to be in fellowship there and then of course his fourth altar um, and when he's down in Beersheba he goes up to Mount Moriah and builds the altar there yeah. where he offers his son to the Lord so uh, he doesn't start with Moriah God doesn't ask him at mm. the start of his life to make this it's 
in the school of God, it's like muscle building. He starts with small lessons, but eventually um, you don't stay there. You move, you don't stay in kindergarten. Right. You move right. on, right? So th those four um, each have special lessons to learn. Uh, the idea of separation, uh, that he belongs to the Lord, he doesn't belong to Canaan. And then um, everything we have a choice to make, where we're going to invest. And then Hebron, pursuing fellowship with God. And then the ultimate sacrifice, am I willing to give him everything at Moriah. And just that, if that was, if you're saying, okay, I want to focus on my relationship with God and mm. just focus on those lessons that yeah. can be seen, I mean, the, the, that'll take you through for a while. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. With Isaac, now, he has uh, four, four wells, and um, his wells, um, as you mentioned, um, he he actually digs out his father's wells. Mm. So uh, Abraham had dug wells at uh, Beersheba, for example, and um, and he had to dig those out. There was one at um, Beer is the word for well, Lehiroi, right? Which um, was actually the Hagar name that one, mm. uh, the God who sees and hears me, and so that's where he was initially. And uh, and then uh, he came up and he tried to dig some new wells, but the uh, Canaanites, the, the people of Gerar, pushed him away. And uh, these were named Esek and Sitna, which refer to uh, contention and hatred. And, um, you know, those are not wells we want to be drawing from. No. He said, let them, let them have them. I don't want those, right? And then we have him... Digging another well, the, the servants came in and uh, he called that Rehoboth. The Lord has made room for us, mm. right? Um, and then uh, finally at Nahor. Uh, so the, 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 the story at Nahor is the beginning of the stories where this is a picture of the Holy Spirit going off to the, um, into the land of the Gentiles and wooing a bride for um, the son of Abraham's old age, right? Mm -hmm. Isaac is a picture of Christ, Abraham a picture of God the Father, and um, and this unnamed servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit going to woo a bride for for Isaac. And uh, so that, that occurs at, uh, at Nahor, the town of Nahor. Um, and that's when we have this beautiful picture of Rebecca being brought back, um, loving her bridegroom unseen. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the approach, the, the, the glorious moment when they are received. So that's the, the, actually his first well is where his, his bride is selected. Mm. You remember how I being in the way the Lord led me, he asked and he saw that this woman was diligent and she was generous and hospitable. And he said, that's the kind of wife that Isaac should have. Um, but then these others, um, the idea of the God who sees and hears me, what an what a tremendous resource that is, right? So Nahor is this idea that that the Holy Spirit will guide us and provide for us. Um, the idea at at Lehiroi that that the Lord is always watching over me, a very present help. Uh, I need not fear what men can do to me because the Lord is always with me. And then of course these wells where they contended over. We realize I don't want to be drawing those 
bitterness and anger and those are those are not the kind of resources now i know that when i get angry i have my sharpest wit i yeah. I'm, I'm my most clever when i'm angry but that is not a good resource to draw on um, mm-hmm. the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of god but then um uh this this idea of uh the the guy the god who's always watching over me um he he goes back there and he re redigs that well and then finally rehoboth this idea that um um the lord makes room for us we don't have to be pushy mm. we don't have to force our way through life um the lord will fight for you let the lord lead and direct and do the things that need to be done instead in the world it's the whole idea of self assertiveness and I've got to look after number one, where in reality the Christian doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord will look after us, and uh, to to live at at Rehoboth, right? The, to to uh, realize that uh, that our our lives are in His hands, our times are in His hands, and the Lord will look after that. So it's a it's a, a not, again this whole idea of the resources that the Lord has given us. So that even in a desert world, uh, we constantly have these wells of salvation mm. that God has provided for us. Yeah, and to what we talked about earlier about how, you know, this idea that he was the God of Abraham, right? And then he was the God of J- Isaac, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the, the redigging of the well, you know, growing up, I got to see you and mom drawing from resources right but then i need to dig those same wells right i i become the head of my own house and and i move out and i can't continually live off of your wells right right yeah yeah i have to redig those myself right but but it specifically says that um uh he named them the same name that abraham mm. named them right Every generation has to rediscover the truth for themselves. And it may seem like a simple thing, but when you're over there, you realize that the stones that line the well and the rubble that's in the well looks an awful lot alike. Yeah. And so we have to start looking at this and saying, is this something I keep or something I throw away? Don't throw it away too far. If, if you've learned something from people who are godly uh, and say, I don't think this fits, don't don't throw it away too far. You may find out that it actually is a piece of the well that you're <laughs> going to need, right? Um, uh, so the, there are some people who say, get your picture taken here by the original well. This is the original well that Abraham dug, but they don't get any water out of it. They're just keeping a dead form. There are other people who are running around with divining sticks saying, we've got to find new wells, new new sources of truth. And that's that's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is to rediscover every generation. Rediscover it's the same truth. Yeah, it's the truth yeah. once delivered to the saints. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we have to do the effort to get the fresh water ourselves. Right, right. So we've got the four altars, four mm-hmm. wells. Can we guess four pillars? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually. Um, so we have uh, Jacob fleeing in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. has to leave everything behind, and he ends up exhausted, so exhausted that he can sleep on a stone for a <laughs> pillow. And, uh, and his, his message is, 
God was in this place and I didn't know it. Hmm. Uh, this is often the case of Christian young people. They, they're raised in a home where God is real and, and yet uh, he's real for their parents. They, their parents, you know, you got a problem, ask your folks, they'll pray for you. Uh, don't understand a Bible verse, ask them, they'll explain it to you. But when finally you get out on your own, you have to discover God for yourself. And this is the point he makes. God was in this place and I didn't know it. Sometimes young people say, I'm going to leave town. I'm going to go to the big city. And they get there and they find out that God's been waiting for them, that he's there too. (laughs) And that he's not just, as you say, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. He's also the God of Jacob. He's my God too. And and, uh, there at Bethel, uh, he makes a deal with God. And he says, if God will... You know, look after me, keep me safe, feed me, clothe me, etc., etc. Bring me back to this place in peace. I'll let him be my God. Really big of Jacob. Right. Um, to let God be his God if God does what he expects him to do. And Jacob's going to have to learn some hard lessons. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he comes back to the same place. Uh, many years later, God says back to, back to Bethel. And uh, it's there that now he pours out a drink offering on the pillar. As if to say, I realize now God is not in heaven to do my will. I'm on earth to do his will. This is my life, and I'm pouring it out as a drink offering to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all in for him. And that's a very different way of thinking. Now, the fact is that in his old age down in Egypt, he testifies, God did provide for me. He did protect me. He did do those things yeah, uh, yeah. And, and led me all my life long. So God was faithful to Jacob in spite of Jacob's rather spotty career. Right, and, and I think that first attitude that he has is not an uncommon one. You know, like, right. okay, I'm with God, so therefore I expect this out of the deal. Yeah, right. and I, making that transition, I think, is a real important one uh, to the drink offering. Right, for sure. Um, the famous statement, I, I must constantly remind myself that God is not my private secretary. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, in between the two trips to Bethel, we have a pillar at Galid. That's what, what Jacob calls it, um, which means um, remembrance or testimony. Um, the the Lord watch between me and thee. We've quoted that verse like a it's almost like a little love song, you know, like yeah. um, we're we're going to be apart and the Lord what. In actual fact, it was kind of a, don't you dare cross yeah. this line or God's <laughs> going to get you. Um, <clears throat> so Laban and jo- and Jacob had had a rather uneven relationship, and when they all fled in the middle of the night. <clears throat> Uh, uh, Laban chased after them until they came to this place and and there they built and, and we read specifically that Jacob lifted up a pillar and said look the Lord is witness here now that uh, I'm going to look after your do- your relatives your, your sisters but um, um, you, you behave yourself and I'll behave myself and the Lord's going to be the 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 referee between us, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it is good for people to realize sometimes the scripture says, as much as in you is, live at, live at peace with all men. And sometimes we get to situations where, um, in the case of Paul and Barnabas, it would have been far better 
if they realized we see very differently on this subject. Uh, Paul, it was the principle of the thing. With Barnabas, it was this young man and the relationship with him. And uh, in the end, it worked out, but it was a pretty bumpy road in between. If they could have just said, okay, let's build a marker here. You go this way, I'll go that way. I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Yeah. Instead of the strong contention that developed. Sometimes this happens in local churches where they're good men, but they're just jostling. You know, this town ain't big enough for both of us. And sometimes they need to say, you know what, maybe we'll go over here and you go there and we'll labor and we'll love each other and pray for each other. Let's not start some sort of internecine war here. Yeah. You know, Um, so uh, I think it's good um, that we remember these things, that Mm -hmm. we that we realize uh, sometimes on earth it's not possible for some people to work together. There's a limit to that. And that's what the scripture says, as much as in you is, live at peace. There's a limit to that. And sometimes it's better to just say, you know, brother, the Lord bless you. You carry on. You do that. I'll withdraw. Um, I even think of missionary activities. You know, in the Faroe Islands, uh, there were brethren laboring there. And a Baptist brother came and he said, you know, you're doing a great job. There's no reason for me to start up in competition with you here. You know, we'll just move on somewhere else. There's lots of territory to be covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, just another example with Hudson Taylor, that he, when he was placing missionaries in China, uh, he was very purposeful who he put with who uh, or with whom. And so that, so that there, would, there wouldn't be that contention so that right. the work wouldn't suffer as a result of people quarreling. Yeah, yeah. We have lots of examples of that in history. I mean, the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield, who mm-hmm. at one time were very close and then got into contention, but then eventually they were restored in fellowship, not in doctrine, but in fellowship. And uh, we thank God for that, you know. And um, the history of, of the so-called exclusive and open brethren in Germany, where the exclusive brethren refused to submit to Hitler's regime um, and suffered greatly for it, and the open brethren who did sign up. And um, after the war, they finally had a... I have an old magazine that talks about them getting together and uh, the, the open brethren confessing their compromise and the exclusive brethren forgiving them and the relationship being restored, it's wonderful when that happens. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and we we all need our galids. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, in the next generation in Germany, to remember what had happened the previous yeah. generation is, is an important, important uh, yeah. marker. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so <clears throat> there was uh, so there was Bethel and then Galid, and then back to Bethel with okay. a very different attitude now. Yeah. Um, the Lord has restored him. And in actual fact, this is thrown up on the jumbo screen, this coming of Jacob wrestling with God, beholding the face of God, um, is a picture of actually how Israel will be restored mm. and brought back to Bethel, back to the house of God. Mm. There's one final uh, pillar and that's uh, the death of Rachel at near Bethlehem. And it's raised at her grave. Mm. And you can go to her grave to this day. The hill 
that rises between Bethlehem and Jerusalem is called Ramat Rahel, the, the hill of Rachel. And just at its foot is the spot where women come to weep if their children have died, if their children are wayward, if they don't have children. Mm. Rachel weeping for her children. She, she's become a kind of uh, a super mother in the, in the minds of the nation of Israel. And yeah. to this day, they recognize her as the mother of, of a, the patriarchs. Uh, specifically, of course, Joseph and Benjamin. So um, it's good for us to remember God's people, right? The memory of the just is blessed Mm. and uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so to remember previous generations, to remember the old Sunday school teachers we had, to remember godly elders, our parents, our grandparents who prayed for us, Mm -hmm. people who influenced our lives it's good to recollect that and to remember their characteristics and what appealed to us and to emulate them whose faith follow considering the end of their lifestyle jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever Mm -hmm. so these are markers that we all need to raise in our own lives and uh, to to recall um those the dealings we had with god the discipline of God sometimes, the lessons we had to learn the hard way, and then the blessings of God, and then the protection of God, uh, how he watches over us, and then, of course, the, um, the memory of God's people uh, who have been an influence for good in our lives. And I just, I just raise my Ebenezer and thank God for all the people that invested in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm afraid it hasn't been as good a return as they should have had but uh, but the i i just think of so many people who invested in my life and the importance of me now going out of yeah. my way to invest in the lives of young people mm-hmm. uh, so that um as as paul says the 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 sacred trust that i passed on to you timothy you pass it on in pristine condition to faithful men and they'll pass it on to others so that the truth of god continues on I think of my dad as a young man, and there was a, a man um, never married, and uh, he had a nice little home, and he'd take the young men over and show them how to study the Bible and so on. And uh, my dad became a student as a result of that. Um, and then, of course, how he invested in me, and then I've had the opportunity of investing in my kids, and they're investing now in others, in their own children and in others. And that's how the blessing multiplies. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking when the with the last uh, pillar with the remembering the saints, those who have invested in you, but then also whose faith follow, even reaching into the far past. And uh, I really wasn't one for church history, you know, or missionary biographies. So it really didn't pique my interest until probably about a year ago hmm. and i've really been enjoying and throwing myself into that and it, it is it's an invigorating thing to remember and instructive right um and so it, it's if that's you uh, any of our listeners it, it to give that another go and and to really jump in and and find and it really is a web 
right? Like what we've been talking with you personally, those who have invested in you and then you into others. And, you know, I start learning about a particular person in church history. It's like, oh, well, they knew so-and-so. They, they actually, this person led this person to yeah. Christ. And then, yeah. you yeah. know, and it's all just this giant web. And so finding one person who really, you know, very often it's like, oh, we know George Mueller. Right. Yeah. Well, oh, but he was friends with so-and-so or he really invested in this person. And then yeah. to see, find that person that really captivates you and then take it out a, a you know, a level mm -hmm. and, and has been really, really enjoyable. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah, very, very helpful, very instructive. Again, hyster historical narrative. Very often we don't see that as uh, applicable. Yeah. But when we look just here at the altars of Abraham, the wells of Isaac, the pillars of Jacob. And we've seen how applicable it is. How can I establish and, and cultivate my relationship uh, with God? Uh, to how, What resources should I draw from and not draw from with Isaac? Yeah. And then, again, with the, this call to remembrance. Yeah. Um, very yeah. instructive. And, and if you want to continue on this sort of thing, uh, take a look at the mountains, right? You've got mm -hmm. um, Abraham at Moriah, and you've got Elijah at Carmel, Moses at Sinai. You've got, um, um, of course, the Lord Jesus, uh, the Olivet Discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Transfiguration and Calvary. Um, many of these, the men in their mountains. It's a great study. In fact, yeah. a gospel folio published a little book on the subject. Um, uh, looking at the threshing floors of Scripture. If you want to see how God separates out the wheat and the chaff, you go through the stories of the threshing floors. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there are lots of these kind of themes or motifs that run from one end to the other in Scripture yeah. that are well worthwhile.